We want to take a look at the first 16 verses of John 15. Thank you guys again for helping us to sing to the Lord this morning. And thank you, Lord, for the wonderful songs that we get to sing about our Lord Jesus. Speaking of our Lord Jesus, this is what he says to us this morning, beginning at verse 1 of John 15. Hear God's words. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in, in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that that fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give it to you. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. 
There is no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. But also, Father, every word of yours is transformative. You don't just speak what you hope will happen. What you speak happens. And so, Father, I pray that now by the agency of your Spirit, that our time in this passage would result in change in our hearts. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two things I want us to think about from this passage. I want to divide the text into two parts, verses 1 through 8 and then verses 9 through 16. I would remind you of where we're at in the Gospel of John. We started in, verse, in chapter 13, and we're going to make our way this summer, Lord willing, through chapter 17. And we are looking at, uh, we, are being, we are so helped by what God has done through John by the Holy Spirit by giving us this evening conversation between Jesus and his closest followers. It's so interesting that, that, of, that, that of the whole book of the Gospel of John, which records chiefly the last three years of Jesus' life, you certainly see how there's an importance being stressed here on some conversations in the, in the remaining hour or hours before Jesus is arrested and crucified. About 20% of the Gospel of John slows us down and says, now, this is the last conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And that slowing things down reminds us of how urgently precious and vitally important these words are for us to live in and to marinate and to ruminate in our hearts. One of the things that that our Lord has been telling his disciples uh, is along two lines. A, I'm leaving. You can't come where I'm at. B, you are not going to be left behind by the Spirit. I am going to indwell you. And we're seeing then the outplay of that. And now it seems like the way that Jesus wants to, from another angle, explain how while he's leaving, we're not we're not being left alone, that, that, that he will indwell us through the Spirit. And the imagery that he wants to paint for us here in verses 1 through 8 is a portrait, a picture of what our relationship to him will look like and what the relationship will look like even to these disciples after Jesus physically departs. He will nonetheless be with them. And he paints this picture from a a horticultural uh, kind of uh, perspective, a metaphor. And so that's what we'll look at. Just There's three things I want to say in the first eight verses about a, 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 a portrait or a picture of our relationship to Christ. And then there's, there'll be three things I want to say in 9 through 16 uh, about uh, uh, some particulars about our relationship to Christ. So let's, let's try to move through this uh, quickly and yet try to do uh, an, an adequate task of uh, considering the text. The first thing I want to note in verses 1 through 8 is the characters of this picture. 
There's, there's three characters spelled out for us. There is the true vine. That's in verse 1 and verse 5. It just says the vine, but that's Christ. And then there are the branches. The branches are, are implied in verse 1, but they're explicitly stated in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. And then in verse 1 also, the third character of this metaphor is the Father, who is the, the vine dresser. So, so the, this picture that is trying to be described to us and to the disciples of Christ about our ongoing relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is, it's a lot like, it's a lot like you and I were branches, and we organically are united to the vine, which is Jesus. And the Father is the gardener who is caring for the vine and the branches. Okay, but enough about the characters. The, the, the central focus of verses 1 through 8 is really on the notion of bearing fruit. Uh, bearing fruit is mentioned three times in verse 2. It's mentioned in verse 4. It's mentioned in verse 5. Uh, and, and then it's, a, it's like in a crescendo way. It's mentioned in verse 8. By, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and show and or prove that you are my disciples. So there's a, there's a huge emphasis here on the need for those who name the name of Jesus to bear fruit. Uh, now, this is not an altogether disconnected conversation with what he's just said or what he's about to say next. He's, he's, he's already focused upon the fact that God is going to indwell us who believe in Jesus, and the, and the outcome of that indwelling is that, is that we will be altered people. We, we, will, we will love differently, and that different love will take the shape of, of compliance, heeding God's word, uh, obeying God's word. And, and yet the metaphor that he describes this love and obedience here is that we will bear fruit. This bearing fruit is, is the outcome of, of being connected to Christ, that we will be a people who desire and are inclined to love the Lord in return and to bear uh, fruit, the fruit of obedience to the commands of our Lord. And yet, while that's the central focus, bearing fruit, that's not really the command. The, 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 the chief or the, the crucial instruction here, the command here, uh, is not bear fruit. Bear fruit is, in a sense, the consequence of, of doing what we are told to do in this metaphor. What are we to do? We are the branches. Any and all who have turned and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's analogous to us being branches that need to stay connected to the vine. And so the, the, the duty here, the instructions here, is to abide. And he says that in verse 4, three times in verse 4. Says that in verse 5, says that in verse 6, says it two times in verse 7. So you kind of get the hint, this is big stuff, ain't it? And it's really by abiding that we bear fruit, and through that bearing fruit, through abiding, we prove that we belong to Jesus. In other words, he gives some warnings here. I don't know if you noticed those. They're kind of jarring when you read them. The first warning um, starts there in verse 2. 
And, and then the warning even gets a little bit more heinous in verse 6. Look at verse 2. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Takes away, what does he do with it? Well, and since verse 6 clarifies, if anyone does not abide in me, and notice the connection here. In verse 2, it's if you don't bear fruit, you're taken away. In verse 6, it's if you don't abide, because remember the connection here? The way to bear the fruit that's being described here comes through the means of abiding in Christ. Fruit is just that, it's the fruit. Abiding is the root of the matter. Anyone, verse 6 again, anyone who does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, remember, it is John, well, I'm sorry, it is Jesus, and John records it earlier in chapter 10 that, that, that in a sense underscores that if we belong to Jesus, no one is able to pluck us out of Jesus' hands. We are eternally uh, secure in our relationship with Jesus. And yet, what a passage like this reminds us of, it's, it's, it's a sure word of warning uh, that those who do belong to Jesus hear this warning and and the Spirit of God perks up our hearts to want to pay attention to this warning. And this warning is, 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 is reminding us that those who claim to have started a relationship with Jesus, we prove the genuineness of having started a relationship with Jesus by showing an ongoing interest in continuing our relationship with Jesus. That's a really helpful word for us because I fear like one of the things that we've done in the church in North America today is that we've shrunk down salvation and the salvation experience to just a, a one-time past decision that, that we encourage people to make. All you've you got to do is just pray this prayer or walk this aisle or join this church or, or get baptized, and, and it's all good. It's all good. Don't you worry about a thing after that. And I fear that while we want to affirm eternal security of the believer, we've actually given eternal security to the unbeliever which is not a helpful thing. It doesn't help a person's soul one bit. And a passage like this, it it sort of jars us. It's like, wow, you mean I've got to do something after I first turn to Jesus? Yeah, after you first turn to Jesus, what's next is keep on turning to Jesus. Every day, throughout the day, for the rest of our lives. And in fact, if we, if we come to a point where we say, eh, I'm disinterested in this Jesus stuff. I mean, it was good for when I was a kid or good when I was uh, in elementary school or good when I was at summer camp back in the day, but I'm now a grown-up and I'm sophisticated and, and I know better and I'm moving on past this scrawny stuff. That's a horrible indication that whatever you did do in elementary school or in high school or in summer camp Sadly, it was delusional. It was all for naught. And yet, when this word of warning falls on a true child of God, we say, thank you, Lord, for the kind and yet stern reminder to keep going. Thank you, Lord, for the 
sure word that as I started with Jesus, I am now called to ongoingly continue with Jesus. I mean, think about, and every metaphor breaks down, but I mean, you don't, it's like, it's so, so say you have a little garden out back, say you got tomatoes, you, you probably didn't get up this morning and go out back and talk to the branches on those tomato plants and say, now, come on guys, I need, I need you to get a little bit redder, and I need you to get a little bit bigger, and then I'm going to cut you off and eat you. Uh, I mean, you, you probably didn't have that conversation this morning. If you, if you, oh, she did? Yeah. I'm, I'm, well, all right, no one didn't see who we're talking about here, so, but. Uh, I mean, you don't talk to your garden plants, and, 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 and yet here we are likened into branches, and Jesus is talking to us, and he's saying to us, abide so that you bear fruit, so that you glorify our Father and that you prove to be my disciples. And I would remind us of something that Jesus said just a few chapters earlier in John chapter 10, I believe, where he said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. So see, molecularly, you don't have to get up in the morning and tell your tomato plants to start getting redder and bigger. Molecularly, they just know what to do. In a similar analogous way, spiritually, those who are born again, we have the, the imprint of Jesus now on our hearts, and, and we know it's his voice, and we hear him talking to us, and we follow. Yeah. No fruit. It's suggestive of us that there is no relationship. There's no relationship because there's no current responsive abiding in the Lord Jesus. And that should be a warning to us this morning. Quickly then, some particulars. Three things in verses 9 through 16. The first particular is a reminder there in verse 9 that we are loved. As the Father, he says in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. You The the picture from verses 1 through 8 of of a vine and some branches and a a vine dresser or gardener, that that now compacts into a, a, a summary statement of a sort about the Father and the Son's love for us. The branches, if you would. The vine loves the branches, and the gardener loves his branches. And yet what I want us to see from the metaphor here is that is it, while, this is a, while verse 9 opens us up with a strong statement about love, about being loved by the Father and the Son, and really I'd say the, the whole community of the Godhead loves us. That is the, that is the apex expression of what it means to live in a saving relationship with Jesus. And yet, and yet from the metaphor of the branches and the vine and the vine dresser, take note that this love that the Father loves us with and that the Son loves us with, it's, it's not just a love in the realm of attitude or even a love just simply in the realm of appreciation. In other words, just kind of a warm fuzzy toward us. 
just love these guys. They drive me crazy, but I love these guys. I don't want anything to do with them, but I love these guys. Now, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is, is this, this, the, the very sustenance that the vine provides to the branches is, in fact, love itself. And that uh, just as a vine nourishes the branches, the nourishment by which, that, which falls on our hearts and souls is love. It's a love that is life-giving. It is a love that is fruit-producing. It is a love that is life-sustaining. It is a love that is life-altering. Both by the internal provisions of the vine, we experience the love of Christ but also by the providential, circumstantial arrangements of the Father. We are loved by the gardener. And both the internal and external um, provisions and providences are motivated by love and designed to lovingly transform us. a love that we sung about. He, he finds us when we're sinners. He finds us in that last song we sang when we're in a worm-like state. He, he finds us when we are unlovely in our rebellion against him. And it's a love that grabs a hold of us right there in, on the spot in that condition. And then it's a love that begins to alter us. He'll say, he'll, say, he'll say down in verse uh, 16, I think it is, uh, you didn't choose me. And I would say you could just kind of swap out the word choose with love. You didn't love me first, if you would. You didn't choose me, but I loved you. I loved you when you didn't have a clue as to what fruit bearing was looking like, but I chose you so that you would now bear fruit. I, 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 I found you in a bad way. And I loved you in that way. But loving you in that way won't leave you that way. Yeah. So we are loved. That's the first particular of this. The second particular is this love, being loved, requires and stimulates a response. And that's really the second part of verse 9 and on into verse 11. Uh, As the Father have loved me, so I have loved you. So what are we to do? Abide in that love. Verse 10 then, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. How do we abide in this love of Christ? We respond. We are stimulated to respond in a sense of compliance and heeding and obedience to the words of Christ. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. I hear the, hear the sweet promise even in that passage we are called upon to respond to the love of god by 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 obedience to the commands of god and yet and yet who is it that's giving the branches their life source it is jesus jesus the one who has gone before us who has already rendered a perfect obedience to his father it says just as i have kept the father's commandments Now, Jesus, who perfectly kept the Father's commandments, is now giving us the life nourishment so that now we can become the kind of people who do what? Obey the Father's commandments. 
He doesn't say, now look, kid, you better straighten up and start obeying or, or we, we, we're not going to have anything to do with you. He says, no, we have a lot to do with you. We've moved in. We love you. And the very enablement that enabled Jesus to obey the Father's commandments is now the very enablement by the Spirit of God that is percolating around in our hearts. You see, it is the love of God. It is God's love for us. It is God's love toward us that creates in us a ricocheting kind of love back toward God. It is the love of God for us that compels us. It is the love of God for us that empowers us, compels us, empowers us to do what? To obey the commands of Jesus, to, to, to uh, love the Father and the Son in return, and thus to bear fruit. And that's really the third particular that I would say is, while I think we could talk about bear fruit in a very broad, all-encompassing way, our passage narrows the Google search, if you would, as to what we're talking about here about bearing fruit. And that bearing fruit even gets narrowed by, well, the bearing fruit is correlated to obeying Jesus's commands. But even that narrows and restricts here in this particular passage. And And he says, verse 12, then this is the commandment. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Do you see the trajectory for which we've come? We are loved by the Father, and we are loved by the Son. And that love for the Father and love, for the, love, love of the Father and love of the Son then redounds back to loving the Father and the Son with a kind of love that also loves the others who are in love with the Father and with the Son. Yet it's even more than that kind of love. Even Well, it's, the, it's a Jesus kind of love, but he even gives a greater specificity to that. It is, if we would, a kind of love that is what I would call happily sacrificial. In other words, how are we to love each other? Being loved by the Father and loving the Father in return, how are we to love each other? We are to love each other the way Jesus has loved us, happily sacrificial. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, suffering its shame. He doesn't say, now, begrudgingly, I'm going to lay down my life for you. No, happily, I am going to lay down my life for you. And what he says is that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In other words, I want a transfer of joy from my overflowing soul to your heart. And, 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 and then he says there, another thing about himself, and as it correlates to us, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. A happy laying down his life for his friends. Not only will I do this, but I am glad to do this. That's the picture of the kind of love for which we are loved, and that's the kind of uh, picture here by which we are now compelled and empowered to love each other. And as we love each other, we abide in the Father's love. 
and with the Son's love. I'll conclude with this. Who are you attached to this morning? Jesus said, I am the true vine. Anything else, anyone else that you and I attach ourselves to thinking this will give me what I need. This will give me the strength. This will give me the hope. This will give me, from last week's message, the peace. This will give me the joy. This will give me the ability. This will give me the direction. Uh, Whoever or whatever we are rooted and grounded in is what we are calling our vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And if you would allow me to edit that, I am the true and only vine. All who come to Jesus, even right now this morning, he will in no way turn aside. Come to Jesus. Attach ourselves to him. For only his love provides what our hearts desire. Only his love provides what our souls require and need. Only his love can transform us into being a kind of people who bear fruit for the glory of the Father and for the demonstration of our belonging to Jesus that we would happily live lives of sacrificial love toward each other. Father, thank you for your word. There's no word like your word. Now, Father, may your word, even as we wrap things up here, may your word continue its work in our hearts into the afternoon and into this week. Father, may this very afternoon we, because of our profession of faith in Jesus, may we bear fruit that would glorify our Father and demonstrate that we belong to you. And Father, may any who, whose hearts are pricked, who see the need for such, May they turn to Jesus for the very first time this morning. May they trust only in Him. May they turn from anything else that they are hanging on to or attached to. And may they simply be a wonderfully loved branch connected to the true vine who now has a good Father. So that, Father, then whatever happens to us henceforth is not punitive but prunative. And we commit ourselves to you this week. We pray this in Jesus' name.